0: Chapter 5, Part 3 of The Fifteen Decisive Battles of the World This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ryan Cherrick The Fifteen Decisive Battles of the World by Sir Edward Shepard Cracy. Chapter 5, Part 3, Victory of Arminius over the Roman Legions under Varus it seems probable that the jealousy with which Marobonius, the king of the Suevi and the Macromani, regarded Arminius, and which ultimately broke out into open hostilities between those German tribes and the Cherusci, prevented Arminius from leading the Confederate Germans to attack Italy after his first victory. Perhaps he may have had the rare moderation of being content with the liberation of his country, without seeking to retaliate on her former oppressors. When Tiberius marched into Germany in the year 10, Arminius was too cautious to attack him on ground favorable to the legions, and Tiberius was too skillful to entangle his troops in difficult parts of the country. His march and countermarch were as unresisted as they were unproductive. A few years later, when a dangerous revolt of the Roman legions near the frontier caused their generals to find them active employment by leading them into the interior of Germany, we find Arminius again energetic in his country's defense. The old quarrel between him and his father-in-law segestes had broken out afresh segestes now called in the aid of the roman general germanicus to whom he surrendered himself and by his contrivance his daughter Thunsnelda, the wife of arminius also came into the hands of the romans being far advanced in pregnancy she showed as tacitus relates more of the spirit of her husband than of her father a spirit that could not be subdued into tears or supplications she was sent to ravenna and there gave birth to a son whose life we find from the allusion in tacitus to have been eventful and unhappy but the part of the great historian's work which narrated his fate has perished and we only know from another quarter that the son of arminius was at the age of four years led captive in a triumphal pageant along the streets of rome the high spirit of arminius was goaded almost into frenzy by these bereavements the fate of his wife thus torn from him and of his babe doomed to bondage even before its birth inflamed the eloquent invectives with which he roused his countrymen against the home traitors and against their invaders who thus made war upon women and children germanicus had marched his army to the place where varus had perished and had paid there funeral honors to the ghastly relics of his predecessors legions that he found heaped around him arminius lured him to advance a little further into the country and then assailed him and fought a battle which by the roman accounts was a drawn one the effect of it was to make germanicus resolve on retreating into the rhine he himself with part of his troops embarked in some vessels on the ems and returned by that river and then by sea but part of his forces were entrusted to a roman general named cassina to lead them back by land to the rhine arminius followed this division on its march and fought several battles with it in which he inflicted heavy loss on the romans captured the greater part of their baggage and would have destroyed them completely had not his skillful system of operations been finally thwarted by the haste of inguiminaris a confederate german chief who insisted on assaulting the romans in their camp instead of waiting till they were entangled in the difficulties of the country and assailing their columns on the march in the following year the romans were inactive but in the year afterwards germanicus led a fresh invasion he placed his army on shipboard and sailed to the mouth of the ems where he disembarked and marched to the wesser where he encamped, probably in the neighborhood of Minden, Arminius had collected his army on the other side of the river, and a scene occurred, which is powerfully told by Tacitus, at which is the subject of a beautiful poem by Prade. It has already been mentioned that the brother of Arminius, like himself, had been trained up while young to serve in the Roman armies, but unlike Arminius, he not only refused to quit the Roman service for that of his country, but fought against his country with the legions of Germanicus. He had assumed the roman name of flavius and had gained considerable distinction in the roman service in which he had lost an eye from a wound in battle when the roman outpost approached the river wesser arminius called out to them from the opposite bank and expressed a wish to see his brother flavius stepped forward and arminius ordered his own followers to retire and requested that the archers should be removed from the roman bank on the river this was done and the brothers who apparently had not seen each other for some years began a conversation from the opposite sides of the stream, in which Arminius questioned his brother respecting the loss of his eye, and what battle he had been lost in, and wrote reward he had received for his wound. Flavius told him how the eye was destroyed, and mentioned the increased pay that he had on account of its loss, and showed the collar and other military decorations that had been given to him. Arminius mocked at these badges of slavery, and that each began to try to win the other over. Flavius boasted the power of Rome, and her generosity to the submissive arminius appealing to him in the name of their country's gods of the mother that had borne them and by the holy names of the fatherland and freedom not to prefer being the betrayer to being the champion of his country they soon proceeded to mutual taunts and menaces and flavius called aloud for his horse and his arms that he might dash across the river and attack his brother nor would he have been checked from doing so had not the roman general Sterninius, run up to him and forcibly detained him. Arminius stood on the other bank, threatening the renegade and defying him to battle. I shall not be thought to need apology for quoting here the stanzas in which has described this scene, a scene among the most affecting as well as the most striking that history supplies. It makes us reflect on the desolate position of Arminius, with his wife and child captives in the enemy's hands, and with his brother a renegade in arms against him. The great liberator of our german race stood there with every source of human happiness denied him except the consciousness of doing his duty to his country back back he fears not foaming flood who fears not steel-clad line no warrior thou of german blood no brother thou of mine go earn rome's chain to load thy neck her gems to deck thy hilt and blazon honors hapless wreck with all the gods of guilt but wouldst thou have me share the prey by all that i have done the barren bones that day by day lie whitening in the sun the legions trampled panoply the eagle's shattered wing i would not be for earth or sky so scorn and mean a thing ho call me here the wizard boy of dark and subtle skill to agonize but not destroy to curse but not to kill when swords are out And shriek, and shout, leave little room for prayer. No fetter on man's arm or heart hangs half so heavy there. I curse him by the gifts the land hath won from him in Rome. The writhing axe, the wasting brand, rent forests blazing home. I curse him by our country's gods, the terrible, the dark, the breakers of the Roman rods, the smiters of the bark. O misery that such a ban on such a brow should be! Why comes he not in battle's van, his country's chief to be, to stand a comrade by my side and sharer of my fame, and worthy of a brother's pride and of a brother's name? But it is past where heroes press and cowards bend the knee. Arminius is not brotherless, his brethren are the free. They come around one hour and light will fade from turf and tide, then onward onward to the fight with darkness for our guide. Tonight, tonight, when we shall meet in combat face to face, then only would Arminius greet the renegades embrace. The canker of Rome's guilt shall be upon his dying name, and as he lived in slavery, so shall he fall in shame." On the day after the Romans had reached the Wesser, Germanicus led his army across the river, and a partial encounter took place, in which Arminius was successful. But on the succeeding day, a general action was fought, in which Arminius was severely wounded, and the German infantry routed with heavy loss. The horsemen of the two armies encountered without either party gaining the advantage, but the Roman army remained the master of the ground, and claimed a complete victory. Germanicus erected a trophy in the field, with a vaunting inscription that the nations between the Rhine and the Elbe had been thoroughly conquered by his army, but that army speedily made a final retreat to the left bank of the Rhine, nor was it the effect of their campaign more durable than their trophy. The sarcasm with which Tacitus speaks of certain other triumphs of Roman generals over Germans may apply to the pageant, which Germanicus celebrated on his return to Rome from his command of the Roman army of the Rhine. The Germans were triumphanti, Paiotus, Quam, vici. After the Romans had abandoned their attempts on Germany, we find Arminius engaged in hostilities with Marobodus, the king of the Suevi, and Macromani, who was endeavoring to bring the other German tribes into a state of dependency on him. Arminius was at the head of the Germans who took up arms against this home invader of their liberties. After some minor engagements, a pitched battle was fought between the two confederacies. AD 16, in which the loss on each side was equal. But Marobotus confessed the ascendancy of his antagonist by avoiding a renewal of the engagement, and by imploring the intervention of the Romans in his defense. The younger Druscus then commanded the Roman legions in the province of Ilrysium, and by his mediation a peace was concluded between Arminius and Marobodus. by the terms of which it is evident that the latter must have renounced his ambitious schemes against the freedom of the other German tribes. Arminius did not long survive the Second War of Independence, which he successfully waged for his country. He was assassinated in the 37th year of his age by some of his own kinsmen who conspired against him. Tacitus says that this happened while he was engaged in a civil war, which had been caused by his attempts to make himself king over his countrymen. It is far more probable, as one of the best biographers of Arminius has observed, that Tacitus misunderstood an attempt of Armenius to extend his influence as elective war chieftain of the Cheruski and other tribes for an attempt to obtain a royal dignity. When we remember that this father-in-law and his brother were renegades, we can well understand that a party among his kinsmen may have been bitterly hostile to him and have opposed his authority with the tribe by open violence, and when this seemed ineffectual by secret assassination. Arminius left a name, which the historians of the nation against which he combated so long and so gloriously have delighted to honor. It is from the most indisputable source, from the lips of enemies, that we know his exploits. His countrymen made history, but did not write it, but his memory lived among them in the lays of their bards recorded. The deeds he did, the fields he won, the freedom he restored." Tacitus, many years after the death of Arminius, says of him, "Canatur ad barbarus apu gentes." As time passed on, the gratitude of ancient Germany to her great deliverer grew in adoration, and divine honors were paid for centuries to Arminius by every tribe of the low Germanic division of the Teutonic races. The Ermenssul, or the Column of Hermann, near Erdesburg, the modern Stadsburg, was the chosen object of worship to the descendants of the Teruski, the old Saxons, and in defense of which they fought most desperately against Charlemagne and his Christianized Franks. Ermin, in the cloudy Olympus of Teutonic belief, appears as a king and a warrior, and a pillar of the Ermin Seul bearing the statue, and considered as the symbol of the deity, was the paladin of the Saxon nation, until the temple of Ayresberg was destroyed by Charlemagne and the column itself transferred to the monarchy of Corbet, where, perhaps, a portion of the rude rock idol yet remains, covered by the ornaments of the Gothic era. Traces of the worship of Arminius are to be found among our Anglo-Saxon ancestors. After their settlement in this island, one of the four great highways was held to be under the protection of the deity, and was called the Ermine Street. The name of Arminius is, of course, the mere Latinized form of Herman the name by which the hero and the deity were known by every man of the low German blood, on either side of the German sea. It means, etymologically, the war man, the man of hosts. No other explanation of the worship of the ermine sul, and of the name of the ermine street, is so satisfactory as that which connects them with the defiled Arminius. We know for certain of the existence of other columns of an analogous character. Thus there was the Roland Sewell in North Germany, there was a Thor Sewell in Sweden, and, what is more important, there was an Athelstan Sewell in Saxon England. There is at present moment a song respecting the Ermin Sewell, current in the biosgraphic of Minden, one version of which might seem only to refer to Charlemagne having pulled down the Ermin Sewell. Hermann, Sladermann, sla Slatrommann, De Kaiser kommen met Hammer und Stagen of Hagen, but there is another version which probably is the oldest and which clearly refers to the great Arminius Un Hermann slag Derman slag Pippin slug Truman, de Fursten kommen, met all Ehrenmannen Hevars ab Hagen. About ten centuries and a half after the demolition of the urban Seoul, and nearly eighteen after the death of Arminius, the modern Germans conceived the idea of rendering tardy homage to their great hero, and accordingly, some eight or ten years ago, a general subscription was organized in Germany for the purpose of erecting on the Onsing a conical mountain, which forms the highest summit of the Tutaberger Wald and is eighteen hundred feet above the level of sea. A colossal bronze statue of Arminius, The statue was designed by Bandel. The hero was to stand uplifting a sword in his right hand and looking towards the Rhine. The height of the statue was to be 80 feet from the base to the point of the sword. It was to stand on a circular gothic temple, 90 feet high, and supported by oak trees as columns. The mountain, where it was to be erected, is wild and stern, and overlooks the scene of the battle. It was calculated that the statue would be clearly visible at a distance of sixty miles, the temple is nearly finished, and the statue itself has been cast at the copper works at Lemgo but there, though want of funds to set it up, it has lain for some years in disjoined fragments exposed to the mutilating homage of relic seeking travellers. The idea of honoring a hero who belongs to all Germany is not one which the present rulers of that divided country have any wish to encourage and the statue may long continue to lie there and present too true a type of the condition of germany herself surely this is an occasion in which englishmen might well prove by acts as well as words that we also rank arminius among our heroes i have quoted the noble stanzas of one of our modern english poets on arminius and i will conclude this memoir with one of the odes from the great poet of modern germany klopstock on the victory to which we owe our freedom, and Arminius mainly owes his fame. Klopstock calls it the Battle of Winfield. The epithet of sister of Kenai, shows that Klopstock followed some chronologers according to whom Varus was defeated on the anniversary of the day on which Paulus and Vara were defeated by Hannibal. Song of Triumph after the victory of Hermann to deliver of Germany from the Romans. From Klopstock's Hermann. Un Firstine, supposed to be sung by a chorus of bards, a chorus. Sister of Canai, Winfield's fight We saw thee with thy streaming bloody hair, with fiery eye, bright with the world's despair, Sweep by Walhalla's beards from out our sight Herman outspark, now victory or death, The Romans Victory And onward rushed their eagles with the cry, so ended the first day. Victory or death began, then first the Roman chief, and Herman spake, not but struck. The eagles fluttered break, so sped the second day. Two Choruses And the third came, the cry was flight or death. Flight left, they not, for them who'd make them slaves. Men who stab children, flight for them. No, graves, t'was their last day. Two Bards Yet spared they messengers, two came to Rome. How drooped the plume, the lance was left to trail down in the dust behind. Their cheek was pale, so came the messengers to Rome. High in his hall the imperator sate, Octavius Caesar Augustus sate. They filled up wine cups, wine cups filled they up, for him the highest Jove all their state. The flutes of Lydia hushed before their voice before the messengers the highest sprung, the god against the marble pillars rung, by the dread words striking his brow, and thrice cried he aloud in anguish, Varus! Varus! Give me back my legions, Varus! And now the worldwide conquerors shruck and feared for fatherland and home, the lance to raise and monks those false to roam, the death lot rolled and still they skunk and feared. For she, her face, hath turned, the victor goddess, cried these cowards. For I be do it, from Rome and Romans, and her day is done. And still be mourned, and cried aloud in anguish, Varus, Varus, give back my legions, Varus. Notes. The Battle of Cannae, BC 216, Hannibal's victory over the Romans. Winfield, the probable site of Hermann Schlott. See, Supra, Augustus was worshipped as a deity in his lifetime. I have taken the translation from an anonymous writer in Fraser two years ago. Synopsis of events between Arminius's victory over Varus and the Battle of Chalons. AD 43. The Romans commenced the conquest of Britain. Claudius, being then the emperor of Rome, the population of this island, was then Celtic. In about 40 years, all the tribes south of the Clyde were subdued, and their land made a Roman province. 68 to 60, successful campaigns of the Roman general Corbulo against the Parthians. 64, first persecution of the Christians at Rome under Nero. 68 to 70, civil wars in the Roman world, two emperors: Nero, Galba, Otho, and Vitellius, cut off successfully by violent deaths. Vespian becomes emperor. 70, Jerusalem destroyed by the Romans under Titus. 83. Futile attack of Domitian on the Germans. Eighty six. Beginning of the wars between the Romans and the Dacians. Ninety eight to one seventeen. Trajan, Emperor of Rome. Under him, the empire acquires its greatest territorial extent by his conquests in Dacia and the east. His successor, Hadrian, abandons the provinces beyond Euphrates, which Trajan had conquered. One thirty eight to one eighty. Era of the Anates. One sixty seven to one seventy six a long and desperate war between Rome and the great confederacy of the German nations marcus antonius at last succeeds in repelling them one ninety two to one ninety seven civil wars throughout the roman world severus becomes emperor he relaxes the discipline of the soldiers after his death in two eleven the series of military insurrections civil wars and murders of emperors recommences two twenty six artaxes overthrows the Parthian and restores the Persian kingdom in Asia. He attacks the Roman possessions in the east. 260. The Goths invade the Roman provinces. The emperor Decius is defeated and slain by them. 253 to 260. The Franks and the Alamanni invade Gaul, Spain and Africa. The Goths attack Asia Minor and Greece. The Persians conquer Armenia. Their king Sapor defeats the Roman emperor Valerian and takes him prisoner. General distress of the Roman empire 268 to 283 the emperors claudius aurelian tacitus probus and carus defeat the various enemies of rome and restore order in the roman state 285 diocletian divides and reorganizes the roman empire after his abdication in 305 a fresh series of civil wars and confusion ensues constantine the first christian emperor reunites the empire in 324 330. Constantine makes Constantinople the seat of empire instead of Rome. 363. The emperor Julian is killed in action against the Persians. 364 to 375. The empire is again divided. Valentinian being emperor of the west and the Valens of the east, Valentinian repulses the Alemanni and other German invaders from Gaul. Splendor of the Gothic kingdom under Hermanic, north of the Danube. 376-395, 376-395, the Huns attack the Goths, who implore the protection of Roman Emperor of the East. The Goths are allowed to pass the Danube and to settle in the Roman provinces. The war soon breaks out between them and the Romans, and the Emperor Valens and his army are destroyed by them. They ravage the Roman territories. The Emperor Theodosius reduces them to submission. They retain settlements in Thrace and Asia Minor. 395, Final division of the Roman Empire between Arcadius and Honorus, the two sons of Theodosius. The Goths revolt, and under Alaric, attack various parts of both the Roman empires. 410. Alaric takes the city of Rome. 412. The Goths march into Gaul, and in 414 into Spain, which had been already invaded by hosts of Vandals, Suevi, Alani, and other Germanic nations. Britain is formally abandoned by the Roman Emperor of the West. 428. Gensuric, King of the Vandals, conquers the Roman province of North Africa. 441. The Huns attack the Eastern Empire. End of Chapter 5. Victory of Arminius over the Roman legions under Varus 89. Part 3. Recording by Ryan Cherrick.